0: Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello. Welcome to the New Books in Caribbean Studies channel on the New Books Network podcast. I am Ari Barbalat, and I'm in dialogue today with Margaret Randall. We are here today to discuss the memoir that she has recently translated. You can cross the massacre on foot by Freddy Prestol Castillo published by Duke University Press 2019. This is a very important book contextualizing and describing the 1937 massacre, which is of significant importance in the history of Haiti and the history of the Dominican Republic. Margaret it's an honor to be in dialogue with you. Thank you for your availability and thank you for everything you invested in bringing this translation into our shared consciousness.
1: You're welcome, Marty. Um, it is indeed a, a, a very interesting book. Um, I was interested that you um, that you uh, said it was a, a memoir. Most people call it a novel, but I, I think I would tend to agree with you that it is, in fact, uh, a a novel that is a memoir, because it's certainly based on the writer's life, uh, although it is also, um, I think he made changes uh, that would enhance it as a novel, uh, but it does tell the story, as you said, of the uh, 1937 massacre on the border between um, uh, Haiti and the Dominican Republic uh, during the Uh, Trujillo regime. Uh, Trujillo was a terrible dictator um, in Haiti, uh, in, I'm sorry, in the Dominican Republic, who um, really, uh, uh, well, was responsible for this massacre and many other um, horrendous uh, events, tortures, murders, uh, and so forth.
0: What inspired you to prepare this book?
1: Uh, well I was asked by uh Duke University Press if I wanted to translate it I had um Duke had published several of my own books and um the uh my editor knew that I was uh, uh very involved with Latin America I lived in Latin America for 23 years um and that I also um am a translator and have done a great deal of translation from Spanish to English so um she asked me if I would like to take on this job. And I read the book and I thought it was a very important book. And I said, yes. So um, that's what uh, that's how it came about.
0: What obstacles, difficulties and adversities did you encounter in this translation project? How did you overcome them?
1: Uh, well, you know, the the book is um, the book is written in Spanish uh, by a, a Dominican from the Dominican Republic. Uh, but he died many years ago so i wasn't able to consult with him in terms of some of the terms some of the terminology used in the book um i think what gave me the most problem um the narrative itself didn't give me any 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 problems um it's quite a straightforward story um it's a um a straightforward narrative style um so that wasn't a problem for me um the problems that I encountered with this particular book um, are the fact that um, some of the characters in the book, uh, some of the Dominican uh, soldiers who were involved in the in the massacre, were um, spoke a sort of mixture of Creole and uh, and Spanish, and a, at times they're drunk as they're speaking. So. In the first place, there's the issue of the dialect of the Creole. I I don't know Creole. And in the second place, there's the sort of the types of expressions that they use uh, when they're inebriated. Um, I did um, seek some advice um, on those portions of the book. And I uh, was able to uh, be in touch with a a Haitian uh, woman who um, gave me some good feedback on how to handle those passages. Other than that, I don't think I had any problem uh, in the translation.
0: Can you tell us about Freddy Pristel Castillo? Where did he live? Can you tell us about his biography and his legacy? What are some of his other noteworthy writings?
1: Uh, Freddy Pristol Castillo was um, a writer, a novelist, essentially a, a novelist although he also wrote essays. And I think he wrote some short stories. Um, He was, uh, he lived in the capital city of the Dominican Republic. Um, He uh, also uh, studied law, so he became a lawyer. Uh, And that figures in this book, um, his going to law school and then coming out of law school and uh, being assigned to a post uh, near the border, which is where he uh, witnessed uh, the horrors of this, um, particular, um, uh, tragedy of the, of the, um, of the massacre. Um, so he has a novel. I'm trying to think of, um, do I have the name of it then? Um, he did have one important novel, um, that, um, he wrote, uh, before he wrote this book um and it had a uh, good press in, in in the dominican republic so i think it was a fairly pop uh popular novel and then this book and then i think some other short collections of short stories and so forth um, i think this book is the most interesting for um a u.s reader because the history that it presents is so vivid and again it's not a history that's uh, particularly known in this country of the the massacre of 1937. Um, uh, I don't think many people in this country are even that familiar with the Trujillo dictatorship, um, and uh, thousands of people died in this in this massacre. Families were torn apart um, because along that border, uh, many families were composed of some members were originally born in Haiti, some members were born in the Dominican Republic, and, um, you know, the way racism figures, and, and, and the fact that even the history of Haiti and the Dominican Republic today, I think, um, you know, suffers from that history. It's, it's, it's a part of, of the history of those two countries, just like Nazism is a part of the history of Germany, or slavery is a part, a part of the history of our country. Um, it's something that um, is sort of uh, conventionally pushed aside, not, ta- not taught very well or not taught at all sometimes in the schools, yeah, even in the country itself. So I think um, having this book is, is very valuable in that respect.
0: How does the 1937 massacre help us better understand the history of Haiti and the history of the D- Dominican Republic?
1: Well, as I said, I mean it's based on racism against uh the black uh citizens of Haiti and the black people in the Dominican Republic along the border. I think the two countries today are still scarred by that history. Uh you know, they uh uh the Dominican Republic is a much uh richer country. It's the people are better off. Uh they they have uh, uh They have more work, they have a better standard of living. Haiti has remained a country that, um, as I'm sure you know, is is devastated periodically by earthquakes, by uh, corrupt governments, by um, tragedies of all kinds. I mean, uh, Haiti today remains a country that is um, horrendously impoverished and, um, you know, that suffers one disaster after another and um, the standard of living is very uh is very low Uh, uh public health is practically non-existent um it's very very difficult for Haitians to um survive um these tragedies these earthquakes and 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 other calamities uh natural or otherwise that they keep experiencing so I think that when you read this book, you understand what's behind all that.
0: What does the title mean and signify? Can you explain it?
1: Sure. Um, you can cross the massacre on foot. The massacre is a small river that uh, runs between it divides uh, the Dominican Republic and Haiti along the border, and um, of course, it was um, it, it it played a central part in in this story. Uh, people tried to escape back to Haiti, to escape the massacre, they tried to escape across the river, uh, they would, um, the river ran red with the blood of people who were shot down in the middle of it, who drowned, who died. And so um, the the title, You Can Cross the Massacre on Foot, refers to the fact that it's just this, this small river, it's so small, it's so shallow, that you can cross it on foot, and yet, it signified uh, such devastation in this history.
0: What does this work teach us about the psychology and sociology of violence?
1: It teaches us uh, so much about it. I mean, it teaches us, first of all, that violence um, never ends well, that it never solves problems, that it creates problems. Violence rips families apart. Takes uh, people's um, lives and just throws 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 them into turmoil. So, I mean, I think this is an example. Like so many books, I mean, if you had a, a novel about Nazi Germany or a novel about the dirty wars in South America or a novel about uh, Cambodia during the Killing Fields, I mean, any any novel that deals in um, This sort of history teaches us that violence is is absolutely not the answer to anything, for anyone.
0: What does this work teach us about collective memory, collective amnesia, and collective oblivion? How do memory and oblivion play into this work, both in the context of the narrative and in the context of the history and long-term legacy of the 1937 massacre.
1: Well, whenever you have uh, this kind of a history, the the people who have um, who have perpetrated the history, in this case Trujillo and his government, um, you know, they don't they're not going to tell the truth about it. The, this history is not taught in uh, textbooks. It's not represented in history books. So that causes a general, uh, they erase the memory in other words. And so uh, it's up to uh, a writer like Presto Castillo uh, to bring this memory back. Um, We have, um, as a result of this erasure of history, we have uh, collective memory loss. We have general amnesia. uh, We have a population that's absolutely unaware of its own past. And when a population is unaware of its own past, it can't um, it can't fully live its its present or, um, or its future. So I think that uh it's it's an extremely important book in that respect that it restores uh, the erasure of memory. It, it restores memory that has been erased by the perpetrators of this massacre.:
0: Can you narrate and summarize the plot of this story? What happens to whom? Why?
1: Well, this uh, the 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 narrator, the writer, uh, Presto Castillo, as I say, he's um, he he's assigned to a post as a as a young lawyer on the border in a small town. And he then begins to witness uh, this massacre as it as it evolves, as it unfolds, as it takes place. And so he begins to. to write about it. Uh, he actually writes about it in secret. Um, he's afraid he's, he's a fearful character. He is a um, he presents himself as uh, someone who's educated, and who uh, is able to witness, but he's he's ultimately quite fearful in terms of he he lacks courage in terms of um, taking a stand. There's an interesting relationship, one of the most interesting relationships to me in the book is between the author, the narrator, and uh, a woman who he comes to love, who actually is much more courageous than he is and um, much more um, willing to take a stand, a political stand, even though uh, she does so at at great personal risk. So, um, and then the other uh, characters in the book are all the people who, who, he, who the narrator comes in contact with. I mean, the uh, woman who owns a boarding house uh, in this village on the on the border, uh, peasants who whose families are torn apart, whose animals are killed, um, uh, different people, you know, the soldiers who come, prisoners who um, are released from prison to go and commit these Horrendous acts of torture and and violence on the border. so he comes in contact with all these different uh, characters, and he um he paints them very um, very well, I think, in the in the novel.
0: Who is the narrator of this story? How does he narrate the story? What cognitive and epistemological assumptions underlie the way he tells the story? What lessons from narrative theory? Can help us understand the narrator of the story.
1: Um, well, the narrator, as I say, is is also the main character. He's the person who lives the this situation and witnesses it, lives it, um, uh, is affected by it. Um, so uh, the the narrative format that he uses, this the the approach, the novelistic approach that he uses, is not a particularly sophisticated one. He begins by um, bringing this, he sort of begins at the end, the first, in the first chapter of the book, he has this manuscript, which he's written, and he, he brings it to his mentor for safekeeping. Uh, And then he goes back, he begins at the beginning of the story and goes back and, and tells the entire story until he gets to that point. So, um. It's it's not a particularly sophisticated uh, narrative approach, but I think it's an effective one in this particular case, and I think that the uh, the, the novelistic approach that he uses, that the author uses, um, really enables us, the readers, to um, understand uh, the history from a um, from a formal perspective, but also from a very personal, human perspective. We sort of get into the uh, different uh, characters, into their lives, into their feelings. Um, you know, what are they going to do about the situation? Can they do anything about it? Some of them uh, are able to, some of them are not. Some of them are destroyed by it. So I think it's a um, it's a um, character-based uh, novel. Um, and I think that works very well for the story.
0: You're the primary female and male characters in this story? What are their personality traits and psychological attributes? How are their lives defined by gender roles and gender assumptions in the context in which they lived?
1: It is a very interesting um, novel in terms of gender. Um, The male characters, of course, beginning with the narrator and then all the people who, the men, uh, who he comes in contact with, they range from soldiers to to prisoners to high government officials to uh farmers peasants um and so forth and so on so there's a great many male characters some of them are um are noble characters some of them are less so um i think they 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 sort of paint different uh masculine traits uh and i didn't find them terribly interesting, but I, but I I find that they are necessary to the story. Um, there are two women in the story who are particularly, uh, interesting, fascinating to me. One, as I, as I mentioned before, is the woman with whom the narrator falls in love. She's, um, a, uh, woman who starts out as a secretary in the capital city, Santo Domingo. She's, um, um, sexually uh, harassed and abused by uh, a boss, a very powerful boss. So she has that in her background. Um, And then, as I say, she um, gradually assumes uh, a very um, progressive posture in the story and uh, takes risks and puts herself out there and uh, really sort of leads the narrator on. I mean... uh, is an example to him that he really can't live up to uh, at the end of the story. Um, the other very interesting character is the woman, a woman who runs um, a boarding house in this tiny village on the, on the border. And uh, she uh, is a Dominican Republic, a mem- uh, citizen of the Dominican Republic, but she has a uh, household worker who's Haitian who she has taken in as a child and is very close to and tries to help tries to hide and tries to help escape. Um, And eventually this woman is is murdered, but um, she this woman uh, risks a lot to uh, to to try to help this this uh, household employee of hers. So um, I think that the 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 gender wise the women come off quite a bit better than the men in this novel um which is interesting since the uh, author is is a man
0: one personality in the story that I'd be curious to ask you about is Captain Windbag what role does he play in this work and what does the name signify
1: well Captain Windbag I think is is more than anything else a metaphor he's uh he's one of the the uh officials who's sent to the border to sort of uh perpetrate this massacre and uh, he's loudmouthed and and uh drinks a lot and uh, i think the name windbag comes from that i mean the, his his underlings that's a name that they've coined for him so uh, i think he represents in the book this um uh, one of many uh characters who, you know, are given a little bit of power and they just, it goes to their head and they uh, exploit it uh, uh, to the detriment of everyone around them.
0: Can you tell us about Angela Vargas, can you put her in context for us? Who is she and how is she portrayed in this story? Well,
1: a- a- Angela Vargas is the uh, is the woman with whom the narrator falls in love. So I've already I've already uh, touched on her story. She's uh, she's the young secretary who's abused by her boss at the beginning of the novel, and then goes on to um, take part in the resistance to the massacre.
0: Can you tell us about Albert Louis? Why is he notable? What role does he play in the story? You
1: no, know, Albert Louis uh, is a fascinating character, even though he appears for not much more than one paragraph. He's a peasant who, um, uh, who, whose animals are slain by by these murderers, and uh, he this just this paragraph during the the worst of the massacre in which he's you you he's presented as typical of thousands of peasants like himself who lose everything and and sort of go crazy. I mean, you see him in this brief paragraph um you see him go from uh, a human being to a to a a madman to someone who's made crazy by what's befallen him so um it's a, it's a very beautifully written uh, paragraph he and as i say he <clears throat> he just appears in that one part but i think it's very masterfully done
0: in the context of the work you do as a translator what does it mean to you to be a translator of latin american literature what does it mean to you in the year 2023 to be a translator of latin american literature into english where do you find the inspiration where does your moral purpose and moral conscience and moral compass come from in your work as a translator of latin american literature
1: Well, that's a great question, Ari. It's also a very big one. I guess I should go back a little and uh, say that when I first moved to Latin America in 1961, I uh, moved to Mexico first. And um, I uh, founded and edited for eight years a magazine called El Corno Plumado, The Plume Torn, which was a literary magazine, bilingual literary magazine, um, that published. What we thought of as the best new work um, of all the Americas, North and South America, and eventually Europe and Asia and Africa and so forth, Australia. So it was a magazine that ran for eight years. It was a quarterly. Uh, Each issue was 200, 250 pages. So we did a lot. We published, actually, I think it was something like um, 750 some odd uh, writers and poets uh, from more than 30 countries. Um, that was my introduction to translation. Um, I I founded and edited this magazine with a Mexican poet named Sergio Mundragón, who I also married uh, and lived with for eight years. And um, so that was my initiation into both um, reading a lot of Latin American literature and also the art of translation. In those years, and I'm talking about the uh, 60s, 70s, um, important Latin American work, um, some of it was translated and published in this country, but most of the translations were very poor, even of the great, uh, Latin American poets like Neruda and Vallejo, um, the translations that existed were just, they weren't good. And so our goal was to, uh, do good translations and make them available to a reading public and, um, That sort of got me interested in translation and in the importance of translation. I then moved on to uh, Cuba where I lived for 11 years um, and was very much a part of the literary scene in Cuba and then moved on to Nicaragua where I was also part of the literary scene and uh, then came back to this country. So when I came back to this country, um, I realized that I had this treasure trove of knowledge, and experience also about um, what was happening in literature in Latin America, especially in poetry, that I could share with people in this country um, through good translation. And so I began to do a lot of, uh, of translation. Um, I um, did a book for um, Duke University Press um, called uh, Only the Road, uh, Solo El Camino. Uh, it's um, H- eight decades of Cuban poetry, a huge book, completely bilingual, 56 poets. Um, I think they published that in around, I can't remember whether it was 2015, 2013, um, but that was one book that I did. And then as as, uh, I say, I've done a lot of individual books of Cuban poets um, and uh, Peruvians, Oh, just lots and lots of of, of great writers. Um, so um, my my uh, interest in translation has not waned. I mean, I I do mostly my own writing, but every once in a while I'll do a translation. Um, uh, by but usually by a Latin American uh, author. Um, I only translate from Spanish into English. I can't. Uh, Translate in the other direction, and I don't translate from any other language, unfortunately. Um, So, um, you know, I think that good translation is is really important for many reasons. Um, I think it's important for people to have access to good translation, to to wonderful writers from other countries. Uh, But I think it also enlarges our uh, understanding of other cultures, of other histories, Um, so that's, uh, you know, and that's certainly true with this, uh, book, uh, you can cross the massacre on foot. Um, so yeah, that's part of my, my, my everyday work. Um, I have a number of books of my own, um, that are either just out or coming out. Um, my memoir was published by uh, Duke in 2020. It's called, um, you ne- I, I Never Left Home, Poet, Feminist, Revolutionary. Um, and that book has been uh, published now in Mexico in Spanish. And uh, it's coming out next month in Argentina and very soon in Spain. Um, I have a book of po- my own poetry um, that's coming out next week actually here in the United States called Vert- Vertigo of Risk. That's Casa Urraca Press here in New Mexico. Um, I have uh, a book of essays coming out from New Village Press um, in the fall. Um, it's called uh, Luck. Um, let's see what else. Uh, I have. Uh, I had a uh, selected work, my own poems from 1959 to, not, to 2018, that came out from um, Wings Press uh, in 2019. Um, I now this fall will have uh, an addition to that—a new selected poems from 2018 to the present—and um, that's called uh, *Time's Language*, Volume Two. Uh, I'm right now promoting um, a collection of short stories called *Lupe's Dream* and other stories. That's also Wings Press. So, um, as you can see, I'm. I'm 86, but I'm still going strong and I'm writing a lot, translating a lot, uh, and publishing. And, uh, as long as I can, I hope I'll be able to. So.
0: What do you hope that listeners got out of our interview today?
1: Well, I hope that, um, listeners will be, uh, curious about translation, curious about, um, you can cross the massacre on foot, foot, um, itself as, as a as a book worth reading. Uh, but in a larger sense, I just hope that um, that listeners will um, I guess yes, be curious about translation, you know there's there's many, many wonderful titles that we can read originally written in English, uh, published written and published in this country. but it's a big world and I think that um, I'm hoping that uh, this podcast will also, uh, spark people's interest in uh, in literature translated from from other countries.
0: Thank you. If you don't want to be asking what's next for you, what are your next projects coming up? Can you tell us about anything that you have in the pipeline? You've told us about quite a bit, but is there anything that you haven't yet alluded to that is worth our while to know?
1: Oh, I don't know. I think I've mentioned uh, quite a bit of it. As I say, uh, "Vertical of Risk, which is a collection of poems, is out this month. Um, I'm doing a number of events around it. I'll be doing an event at City Lights in San Francisco, uh, here in Albuquerque, some events. Um, and then I have this uh, another book of poems. Um, it's called Home. All the poems are um, on the subject of The idea of home seen from many different angles home, homelessness, um, the home we carry around within us, etc. That book will be coming out in October, and uh, also my collection of essays uh, will be coming out in October. Luck. Uh, So, um, you know, that's that's mainly it um, getting these last two books, uh, putting the finishing touches on them. getting them ready for publication and then promoting books because you know our job doesn't end when we write a book and publish it um we're so we we have to promote our books because um if not um not many people read them
0: (laughs) thank you i'm overwhelmingly grateful for the time you spent talking with me today and i'm tremendously thank you for everything you put into bringing you can cross the massacre on foot into fruition for the benefit of all of us and for the benefit of so many people who you'll never meet, who will benefit from reading this and knowing this.
1: Thank you, Ari. It's been a pleasure.
0: To our listeners, I am your host on the New Books Network, New Books in Caribbean Studies channel. Today, I've been in dialogue with Margaret Randall. We have been discussing her new translation. Of the following. Freddie Prestel Castillo, You Can Cross the Massacre on Foot, published by Duke University Press, 2019. Thank you.